Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Business Alchemist, where we believe in serving with spirit. If you are new, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're with me for a while, thank you so much for coming back. I have a special guest today. He's known as the most influential man you've never heard of. And I'm really excited to have him here. He's become a dear friend, a mentor, Michael Giuliano. I said it right. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Very excited. So Michael, I'm so excited to dive in, pick your brain. I know we're friends, but here everyone's going to get a chance to really get to know you the way some of us are blessed enough to have gotten to know you. So I love to ask people that come on the show, take me to the beginning. Like, what was Michael like maybe in the early teens? Because I believe that everything we do in life starts somewhere. So take me to the beginning stages. And when did you feel that you were going to step into everything you're doing now? If you told me what was I going to be as a teenager, I was either going to play Major League Baseball or I was going to be a football player. I was a four-sport athlete, um, good grades, straight arrow, pretty boring, um, but uh, lived in a couple places and was in my third place. Uh, you know where I'm from. I'm from your neck of the woods. I'm a, I'm a Jersey boy by birth, uh, uh, lived in the Midwest, and uh, right around teenage years, like you said, I moved to uh, Ohio and um, was a four-sport athlete and uh I thought I was going to be an athlete. I uh, had no idea that I was going to be an engineer. I had no idea that eventually I'd have my own companies. Never thought I would speak, travel, none of that stuff. So uh, I was just uh, a goody-goody and a, and, and a jock, uh, probably with good grades too. So I want to talk about that because maybe there's someone listening. And, you know, to be an athlete, you have to have a very disciplined state of mind. So yeah. in in those ages, it's very easy to get distracted, whether it's partying, whether it's, you know, there's a million things that can distract you. At that age, how did you manage to stay disciplined? What was your mindset like? Uh, being an Italian boy, uh, I was scared of my father doing anything wrong and uh, mama's boy. So uh always thought, what would my mom say if this happened? What happens if I did something wrong? What would, what would my mom say? So... Um, I was a straight arrow. I uh, the the crazy stuff, the party stuff. It was never me. Um, I had no interest in it. I didn't do it when I went to college, and as you know now, I I, I don't do that stuff now. So uh, never had an interest. Didn't fascinate me. Um, I cared about getting good grades, and I cared about uh, you know whatever my craft was, if it, whatever season it was that uh, I was in. I wanted to be the best at that and uh, see how far it could take me. So if someone's listening, you would say, think about, you know, what your family would say, think about, you know, your future. Is that what you would say to someone listening? We have to think about, um, you know, like I I speak all over the world. Uh, One of the things I'll say, like in the locker rooms, I say, who's that? What's what's on the back of your jersey? And they said, my name. And like, no, that's your mother and father's name. You represent your family. you know, the numbers so they can tell two people apart, but the, the name you're carrying your mom and dad's name, you're carrying your brother, sister's name later in life, you're carrying your, your children's name. And that name's important. Um, that name's important and people know what it is. And if you actually 
are known by name or requested by name, uh, you, you better not have a, that better be real. It better be legit and it better be valuable. It's real easy to go out and uh, do the wrong thing. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to unscramble scrambled eggs. That is so true. So now that I, I believe it was your junior year, now you started. <laughs> I know the stories of trying to take it, take us there. So you were the youngest one, I believe, in the manufacturing business when you first started. How did they wow. discover you? I mean, I, I love the story because you had, as you guys heard just now, you were very focused and driven, but you were also yeah. very determined. Tell us the story of how yeah. they discovered you, the youngest one in the manufacturing business at that time. Um, so it wasn't in all of manufacturing, but uh, in, there's a discipline that that people have studied uh, called lean, and it's really just a, a bunch of best best practices, benchmarking, uh, based on uh, Toyota production system. Um, this stuff was, they studied quality, efficiency, and how to choreograph a production floor. And uh, it's become, later in life, I uh, didn't know it at the time, it's become pretty much the standard um, for, for world-class organizations. So when when I was in college, I was doing a co-op and the training for the executives was somewhere around fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars for training in this. And the I was I was very, 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 very lucky. The the guy that was the vice president of the company that I was doing a co-op for said, I don't want to learn this lean crap. You go. I had no clue what it was. I was deep into my engineering curriculum. Uh, I I was very good grades, all that other stuff. Never heard of this stuff. So I go learn this stuff from who who ends up to be the Michael Jordan of it. Um, and I learn lean from the perspective of Shingajitsu. And that is, th those are the people that um, actually went and lived it and did it. It's not the later on what a book about a book about a book about a guy who saw it. This is the actual people that had their hands on in the supply chain who went back and made the, made the system better. And um, I didn't know that I was getting this, you know, learning how to play basketball from Michael Jordan, if you will. But I got it. My task was to come back and teach people how to teach this. And I was a teenager. Um, I, didn't, I had no clue until after it was done that there was even such thing as executive training for 50 plus thousand dollars. And this is in the late 90s. So college for four years was about 50 grand if you had to pay for it. Um, and uh, so it costs more than a four year degree to go for several weeks. So this I had no clue that this stuff existed. And it's kind of good that I didn't um, because I probably would have got nervous or something. But I, I learned it. I came back. I taught it. I implemented it on a following co-op, uh, did that. And now I started challenging my teachers, professors as a senior. Um, and then when I got out, uh, some really good things happened. When I actually got a job in manufacturing at a fortune number one company, uh, I ended up uh, being one of the first people to um, put that into practice. And then I uh, had a whole, whole new thing that never happened before. And that's kind of what put me on the map. So I love that, but I do have a question for you because you were so young and you had to go learn this and then teach it. There's something called imposter syndrome. Did it try to creep mm -hmm. up on you? And if so, how did you navigate through that being so young and now learning and teaching? How did you navigate through imposter syndrome? 
I've never had imposter syndrome. When I was little, I was the fastest kid until the end of high school. Uh, I got good grades. I set the curve in every class. I never had imposter syndrome. You either can or you can't. You can either dunk or you're just wearing Jordans and, and faking it. I didn't have the Jordans because uh, we had we were a little bit humble. But, um, you know, my dad always told me there's always somebody that's better than you. No matter how great you are, there's somebody better than you. So so don't don't get impressed with the mirror too quick. Um, you know, he, he, uh, his delivery was very humbling and, um, I never had imposter syndrome cause I was an imposter. I could dunk a basketball. I was the fastest kid. I did set the curve. So I never had that. When I went and learned something, I'm just, I'm normal. Uh, I told people, Hey, I learned this. I'm trying to communicate this over to you, uh, trying to do a baton pass. And I think what was good is that to make sure that I did it the right way because I was still in school. Um, I was teaching people who had no knowledge of this. So it was just like, I was the person that learned it first. What didn't mean that I had the most lived experience. It didn't mean that I ever did anything. I never, you know, I'm kind of like a rookie, if you will. I have no stats. So giving it to someone and then making sure that they can give it back to me and that the light bulb went off and that I had a clean baton pass and I wasn't just regurgitating or lecturing, I think that um, that was useful because uh, to get what I learned, ensure that you actually can give it back to me, that that made it better than someone who, you know, later in life would have had a title or position or, or, you know, whatever, some sort of clout. I hate that word, but some sort of, you know, authority. I had no authority, so I really did have to do it the right way. I had to be that fast or do it that good. And the only way I knew how was to have someone give it back to me and go, yep, that's what I said. That's how I said it. And yes, you can draw the little the little nerd uh, hieroglyphics. That's That's great advice, first of all, because I think that if you aim to be the best at everything, whether it's health, you know, really organizing your life and each category of your life being the best, right? then the imposter syndrome is not imposter because you are doing your best. So I actually love that answer because, you know, people suffer with imposter syndrome because I think they're half-assing it. Sorry, guys, you know, Michael said it, I'm, I'm approving it, you know, but, you know, since you started teaching, you started working with many different companies, you know, you were part of, I'm just going to, I'm going to name drop a little here. You, you know, you were part of the Xbox, the iPhone, I mean, many other things when you first did those big projects, okay, you didn't have imposter syndrome, but I'm sure there was some level of excitement knowing what you were bringing to market. Let's talk about what it feels like to bring something to market that's never been on market before. What's the thought process when you're creating those kinds of um, companies? Well, when you look at anything new, so there's nerds, but nerds can't talk. So um, get a bad rap, but it's it's definitely earned. If you are doing something that no one's actually seen before, because that's what new product development is, not iterative stuff where you made a, a car and then you made a newer car or something like that. If, if I told you that you were going to have a deck of cards with a glass screen that had all your music, you wouldn't believe it. If I told you buttons were going to go away, you wouldn't believe it. If I told you, you know, so you're really changing religion. You have someone's current belief system of how the world is, and then all of a sudden, you make something new and different they never saw. So you need to have big pictures, little words. Everyone tries to out-nerd people. People don't talk like that. I think the when you're able to do 
why do I care? What's in it for me? Why should I believe you? 30 seconds or less, fifth grade English, big pictures, little words. Now you just created the script for people to say, here's what it does. I don't need to know that it's it's whatever many millimeters under a micron, blah, 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 blah. I just need to say, Jackie, the battery lasts all day. You know, your thing lasts two hours. Well, now it's all day. You know how when you drop it in a pool, now it's waterproof. Um, I need to be able to say simple stuff, bigger, faster, better, first, only different. And if I can't do that, I need to refine my message. People who are able to do that now create the script internally to take the nerds out and have more inclusive design because I can communicate to you what we're doing and you're not intimidated by the nerds or you're not intimidated by all the science and, and stuff behind it. So now it's just people talking. So you did a more inclusive design and with the users, I just want to know what sucks. And they'll say, didn't compute, too big, too small, too heavy, too hot, too cold, too this, too that. That's how we talk. Now it's my job to go back and put, you know, goodwill hunting level math equations to it and put the tape on the glasses and use big calculators that look like this that nobody's ever seen before. Um, yes, I just do a, a giant calculator. <laughs> That's our job, but people don't talk like that, right? So um, I think when you're able to communicate those things, why do I care? What's in for me? Why should I believe you? 30 seconds or less, fifth grade English. Now, I can go and make a product and I can create that whisper campaign. That whisper campaign is before it's out in the field. And that whisper campaign, uh, you may work with uh, whoever, but you keep it tight. And you might see like the edge of something or the glass of something or whatever it is, but you don't quite see it. But now you created the actual script of the rumor of what's out, what's coming next. And then you give your whole budget to Jackie and the PR firm and you let them go run with it and take it to the moon. But you're literally responsible for the success of your product versus people interpreting what you think it is. And then the launch, you, you're going this way and the product goes this way and the two don't connect. You, the engineers, it's their job to clearly articulate uh, the benefits, the the belief and everything. And then people that that are in PR, people that are in running campaigns, people that are in sales and marketing, they're actually saying what it is. And it's not a, quote, dumb person trying to sound smart. It's just truthful. So let's say someone's listening, right? That, that was a lot of information to unpack. And, you know, you've worked with really big companies, but let's say there's someone who they just have an idea. Yeah. What is the first steps to do? Like, I know you and I deal with some stuff. We talk about raising money sometimes. How can someone, what are the first steps? How do they raise money? How do they do all these things? So let's say someone's listening to this podcast and they have this brilliant idea for a product, but yeah. they don't have the funds at the moment. They're not from a big company. What would you tell them are their first steps to do? Make one that works. Cause it's very hard to make one. I think where people are, are, uh, the biggest opportunities to fail for an idea is when you can't get it out of your head and put it on paper and then change it from your drawing or your idea on paper to your first little duct tape widget. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be the right shape. It might be janky, whatever you want to call it. But as long as it works or it's representative of what it is, now I can go communicate that to the most people, like the biggest audience. 
I can go talk to a material scientist. I can go talk to a machinist. I can talk to a manufacturer. If it is a technology, I don't need to impress you with all these 20-syllable Scrabble words. I need to be able to make one, show you that it works, and then now understand how to refine it and scale it because anybody has an idea. You go to lunch, wouldn't it be cool if I went to the moon? Well, you could draw a rocket, but it doesn't matter. Unless you can shoot a, shoot some off the ground or have an idea, um, it's worthless. So there's a lot of idea people. There's in, in software, the number one thing that I'm seeing wrong is there's all these uh, app developers and they'll make an app that looks pretty. They draw cool pictures, cool things, and they say, imagine this being the next that. Yeah, we're the next Uber of this. We're the next whatever. I don't want to be the next anything. I want to be the first me. I I don't want to say, you know, you know, what if Uber and, and Gatorade made a kid and it'd be called Gator Uber or something. That's dumb. You sound like a little kid making up numbers when you say that. When you are making up message, make, you know, like my little Benjamin wants to be Batman or Spider-Man. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like a kid talking. So we're grown up. Make one. Make sure that it works. If it doesn't work, tell me what you need to make it work. And more importantly, who you need to make it work. And it's not always just money. People want money to buy time. If I can get to the right people who can do it quicker, I'm going to beat you every time. If I get the right people in the huddle and get the wrong people the heck out of it, I'm going to win. The quicker I can make one that works and understand the steps to scale it, uh, do I need machines? Do I need people? Do I need time? Do I need spots? Is it seasonal? Whatever it is, I can communicate the help needed and I can put a dollar sign to that. Hey, Jackie, I need you on a Tuesday at noon for one hour to get this done. Not, um, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if I don't want people to have to think if I have a plan and I'm truly a disruptive visionary or a luminary or a leader or whatever they call themselves, they're more worried about telling you about the drawing that they're going to do. I'd rather make one. And then now I can get people around because I have something tangible to talk about um, if it's hardware or software. Uh, so get to the real stuff first. It's going to be ugly, but you're going to be able to communicate the help needed. And the right people are going to come forward and the wrong people are going to step back. So now all you got is people that are on your team can communicate, hey, I could help you. I need a budget of this. And you're always going to be quicker. And in the end, it's less expensive. And the first one to market wins. So you've been around a lot of startups, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. With everything that you just said, what would you say are one or two of the most predictable things that startups do wrong? Cap table, usage of funds, and team. So people run businesses, and it's always about people. And it's a we thing. It's never me thing. And if you believe that you're the gift, you're probably wrong. Uh, few are right, but there's really only one, you know, there's really only one uh, Michael Jordan. There's really only one, um, you know, Steve Jobs. There's only one uh, Travis Schwan. There, there's only, you know, there's only one of some of the best of the best of the best of the best. So to, to try to big yourself up, um, it doesn't matter. I want to know that I'm going this way. I need to make a bottle that makes 
carries my juice or my water or whatever, and I need to be able to get the right people on board. I don't need to be the bottle expert, the water expert, the label expert, the whatever. I just need to be able to say, here's what I want, here's what I need, and here's what it takes to go forward. Um, it's not get your best friend, have some bastardized cap table that's, oh, we're 50-50, got to raise money. Oh, we're 25-25 and 50. Oh, we need Pepsi bottling to do this. Oh, we're 10-10. And then it's like, I'm giving up my equity. I'm doing this. Understand how to have a cap table. Understand that in the end, uh, the richest people on earth don't own 50% of the company. They barely own one. Understand that when you don't have money, you're going to have to have equity that you give up, not give up, but you spend. So the give up isn't really what it is. You are paying somebody in equity and they are in essence betting on you because people don't work for free. I'm sure in PR, everyone's like, oh, I'll give you a sales commission. That's not an investment. That's a commission after it works. Um, I want to be able to tell people, be able to make something, be able to communicate it. And if you're not good at it, be able to ask what you need help with. Very clear articulate it to the right people and get them on the bus and give as much of that equity away as possible because it's not a giveaway. It's an investment. If I give you half of a hundred and it, it, and it's worth 10,000, that's a hell of a good investment. So getting the right people on board, being able to communicate what you are good at and uh, knowing that there's only 24 hours in a day, you couldn't possibly be the best at everything. Not one person gets there the whole way uh, there's no Jay-Z's that, that the whole industry hates and may thug their way through, right? There, there's none of that um, other than Jay-Z. But um, you really you really have to get a team. People are going to get you there, and, and living on planet Earth is going to get you there. And speaking of people, right, mm -hmm. you are someone who you see the best in people. You can kind of see you know what someone's capable of before even they do you know you have yeah. a few we're not going to name drop but you have a few mm -hmm. really great people that you've believed mm -hmm. in or you've mentored what are yeah. some of the signs that someone has greatness in them or is worthy of being on a team like how does someone see someone and say okay this is someone who is capable or incapable yeah so i can i can say it in sports and i use this a lot and i think you've heard it if you see a eighth grader who's seven feet tall, could jump over a house and has uh, real good hand-eye coordination, you're not going to say, oh, have you ever played basketball? Tell me about a difficult thing. The guy just jumped over a car and he's seven feet. You've got to know that uh, most of the stuff is there. It's exceptional. And you got four years to work with them before they go to college, another four to go to the NBA or whatever. Um, you're going to see people that are disciplined. They have um, very, very, very good time management. If you don't have good time management, you can't scale because you run out of time. You're busy, not productive. Focus, uh, delayed gratification. So you're not going to be rich overnight. If you are, God bless you. But there's a lot of people that work 10 years and they're an overnight success. Everyone's heard that cliche. I'm going to repeat it. Um, they don't see the process. People who love the process of outworking people, people who like, uh, like Usain Bolt said, preparing four years for nine seconds, right? The world record holder in the 100 meter. Uh, people that love the hard work, they're okay with the delayed gratification. Uh, you got to be a little bit cuckoo because you're betting on yourself. And not everybody's used to not making money. 
guarantee you're not going to make money. You're going to spend way more than you ever thought you would, but you're also going to work very hard for yourself. When you see people that have that time management, work ethic, great communication skills, they're humble with their knowledge. They could be a superstar. And if they're sharing that their wins, that's not bragging. They're just sharing their wins, but they're humble with their knowledge and that they know that there's 20 other ways. So people who say, who are at the top of their game, Tiger Woods as a golf, golf hitting coach, uh, a nutritionist, uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant had shock coaches, had dietitians, had uh, weightlifting trainers. The best are constantly looking at themselves or constantly watching film and getting that little inch that that's a difference in, you know, a gold medal and a silver medal or a gold medal and a whatever. So they're constantly looking at themselves and asking for help. Um, I think that's big. You said something really important, being busy and being productive. Can you explain that to someone listening? I know what it means, but what does being Uh productive mean to you versus busy? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. The, The productive means you're producing something to produce productive. So that means you ship units, you bank podcasts, you transact money, whatever it is. The wheels are turning. And they're going forward. There, there's movement. There's motion. There's something. There's an exchange. Uh, you know, productive. Productive is units over time. So it could be, you know, parts per million, parts per hour, or millions of parts per hour. It can be uh, uh, posts per week. It could be this per that. Busy just means you're occupied. Busy doesn't do anything. Busy has you running in a circle. Busy has you not being better today than than you were yesterday or a week ago. There's a lot of people, it's fun to be busy. It's fun to take a bunch of, you know, peace up signs in front of this and, and be a fake. You know, it's it's fun to be an influencer and not influential. Influential employs people. Influential signs the front of the check, not the back of the check. Influential changes the tax code uh, of a zip co- or changes the tax of, of a zip code and puts it in schools. It makes companies busy is popular. And if you're great, if you're the best at whatever you do, if you're just fastest kid on your street, popular happens. There's a prom king and a prom queen at every high school. Doesn't mean they're Miss America or Mr. Universe, but good, good, you know, the other stuff follows. If you're the valedictorian, you're going to get in a good college. If you are the fastest, you're going to win medals. Whatever it is, the best, the other stuff follows. Money, all the money in the world, and you see this, I can't pay you enough to be good at math, no matter how much you you publicize or whatever. I either can or I can't. And I either need one of these or I need uh, to count on my fingers. You can either do the math, you can't. You can either dunk or you can't. Um, you either can or you can't. I don't think it's much harder than that. Speaking of productive versus busy, you know, there's many startups, many companies who they do have a vision when they start, right? But then what would you say, or has this ever happened to you? Have you ever started working with a company and maybe the idea was bad? And Mm -hmm. at what point does a company say we need to either pivot or we need to just, this is just a bad idea? There's a lot of people that I mean, you can look at the EV game, for example. So you might have Heinrich Fisker, who did the Fisker Karma, and he made he was one of the most prolific car designers. He's made some of the most visually pretty cars, best-selling cars ever. 
Uh, sometimes you need to have money behind it. Sometimes, uh, you know, in the electric car game, for example, it's an arms race with batteries. You don't know what the cost is or where it's going to come from because today's battery is not tomorrow's battery, is not three, four generations. Uh, in the beginning, you can go back 20 years. There's been golf carts, right? You had a golf cart, had a little car battery on the back. Today, you have a Tesla with a lithium iron, lithium iron phosphate battery. There's going to be new batteries. Uh, there's going to be solid state batteries. There's graphene batteries. There's batteries we haven't even thought of. There's ones that, so when you start out today and the guts change or the processor changes or whatever, um, that's part of in your design. So in your when you're making a product, you have to have some flexibility. You can't be so rigid and timing matters. So speed to market matters. So when if you have a now idea, you got to ship it now, not five years from now. So that's where getting the right people, being on top of the game, understanding what changes and in, in the pace of that industry, whether it be materials, key components, coding, technology, you need to understand if you have a long-term thing, are you in a short-term, long-term, medium-term? You need to know the velocity, the speed of the game, uh, and and have the appropriate plan in place and the right people to get you there. So when startups or companies come to you, what are some of the things that make you say no to a project? Me people versus we people. Um, people that have really good drawings and nothing that works. Uh, people who will more or less bankers and car salesmen. Um, if you feel like you're being sold and not informed on something new, nobody likes being sold. I want to, sh I want you to show me, Hey, I made this little duct tape widget and see how it works. Yeah. Well, I'm going to need a stronger plastic. I'm going to need a fancier glass. I'm going to need a better this. I'm going to, but I know how to make something work that you haven't seen before. I have patents, I have IP, um, I have demand. Uh, it solves something useful um, that somebody else hasn't thought of yet. Uh, I don't want you to convince me um, why your idea is good. Um, and if you can't articulate why it's good and say, hey, I need some help and, and I'm building a great team and I want to get the right people on to get there. Um, if they already know everything, um, have fun. Go 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 play uh, your individual sport. Go look at the me and not the we. Uh, I don't want to be a part of that person's team because ultimately they, they, they're going to fail. If it's just about them and their brilliant idea and they got all the answers, there's no point in calling me. Uh, just like there'd be no point in calling you. We're there to help people because we've been there. We've done that. And we know uh, how not to step in a pile of dog poop and how not to fall into the hole. If they don't want to listen to it or they don't want to invest in that, God bless them. Uh, my name's in books, and I don't need to validate to somebody that uh, that I'm good or not. They called me; I didn't call them. So um, we're gonna we're gonna change it up a little bit now because this is still a spiritual, conscious business podcast. Mm -hmm. Now, if you guys don't know, Michael and I off off the 
the podcast, we're friends and he always makes fun of me because I talk about manifesting and Michael talks about micafesting. <laughs> but I want to pick your brain a little because with everything you're saying, you know, your drive, your thoughts, you know, everything you believe in, you mm-hmm. technically have manifested this, right? But mm-hmm. I know you're also someone who's spiritual and, you know, you yeah. love God and all these things. So mm-hmm. what does spirituality mean to you? And are there any, are there any, routines that you do throughout your day or your life that really ground you and center you when life can get hectic? Good people in place, uh, one. Uh, Two, people that have the same value system as you um, is a big thing. I think reflection, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through some some sort of way to relax, we can all get better at that. And the better we are, the more centered we are. Uh, the more we're able to vibe with other people and be less judgmental, uh, which is important when you're in new product because of ideas and stuff. You get really, really, really accomplished, really, really smart people together, and they've all, they're all brilliant. Um, if you're more calm and more humble with your knowledge, because you're more relaxed, you're more open to feedback, you're more open ideas, the product comes out better, the service comes out better, the customer sack comes out better, whatever it is. I think, you know, having having some sort of practice in the day, uh, you mentioned grounding. Uh, in the morning, I like to go watch a sunrise over the lake. Um, I like to wind up the day with prayer, uh, whether it's with my kids or myself. I do do uh, some meditation. Um, I'm not into all the woo-woo stuff, but I'm somewhere in the woo-woo stuff with, uh, with that, but I'm not going to... Uh, you're not going to see me doing headstands and and crazy things on the sides of mountains. But yeah, I think some some way to center yourself, some way to um, relax and be focused. And uh, the the thing that specifically on on the meditation, I think everybody can spend sit in a quiet place. I think you can sit completely still with no noise for five minutes. Then you try ten, then twenty, then you know whatever works for you. But that's that's how I got into some of it. It's just you could be anywhere. You don't have to go to yoga. You don't have to go to the top of a mountain with some Buddhist guy and wear orange and have a dope haircut like us. Um, team team shaved head here. Um, you just need to be able to sit still and sit quiet. And it does wonders for you. I love that. I didn't know you meditate, but wow. Um, did you ever have a moment where... It, you can call it a miracle or you knew God's hand was at work that you can think of at the top of your head. Work-related or life-related? Life. When my son was born, I'd say that's a, the, that was uh, that everybody had, everybody loves when their kids are born and stuff. But I wanted, one of my goals that I had written down pretty much late high school, early college, wasn't get a job or have a, have a this or do a that. One of my primary goals is I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be present. I wanted to deliver the right stuff the right way and take what I learned to do and what I learned not to do and put it into, you know, in the future of my children. So when, when my son was born it wasn't 
how a lot of people they're happy and that's great. I was like, my life starts now. Like I've been preparing, you know, I, I, I've been preparing my whole life. This was my goal. My goal wasn't to achieve uh, or an earning thing or live in a certain house or do a certain car or go anywhere. One of my goals that I literally had written down was I want to be a great father. And so when, when number one came out, number two, uh, um, that sounds bad, but uh, when, when my son, first born child and second born <laughs> child came out, um, yeah, not number one and two, um, but order of birth. I was like, all right, life started now. This is what it's about. It's not about me. I had a goal. Do great, do your best. But, you know, you, the whole goal is to to make good kids. And um, that's what I work on every day. If it doesn't get my kids forward, if it doesn't make my kids the best possible them, then that's my report card. I don't I don't measure Money's not this money never has been a success thing. Uh, I'm looking at, hey, what am I putting out into the world? And and I'm making my kids the best possible them. That's pretty much my only goal right now. Like I look at stuff and if it if it doesn't go towards that or one or two of my other goals, I don't even engage in a project. I don't really want to meet the person. Um yeah. Yeah, my bullshit meter is pretty, pretty strong. So I'd love to ask, what are you like as a father since it's it's everything to you, you know, and you're super busy and, you know, you're working on many projects, but you're still mm-hmm. present. But mm-hmm. what is the most important thing you're teaching your kids? Like what, how are you making them better humans or, you know, adding so much value to them as a father? Um, what I hope to be doing is... Uh having them be extremely grounded and realize that they're not me junior, they're themselves. So when you work hard um, and you earn stuff, it's rewarding. Um, I want respect. I want discipline. Um, and we come from a very competitive family. I have a middle brother who was a standout athlete as well. My youngest brother w- was amazing at what he did um we're all educated we all uh you know great parents great 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 mother and father um i always have to do it and embarrass my mom hi mom i love you mom hi mom i love you mom i hope you're blushing um i want them to be the best version of them i don't want them compared to me i don't want my son to be a football player necessarily or a basketball player. I want him to like his little Rubik's cube and solve it in in 30 something seconds as an eight-year-old. I like that he likes to do swimming. I like that he likes the books that he reads. Uh, I want him to be the best him. I don't want him to be me, me 2.0. I want him to be him. My daughter, um, she's a center of the world for me. I want my daughter to see strong, accomplished women. I want my daughter to understand that her value is not what she looks like, uh, but but what what how she is, how how she is on the inside. Uh, I love her competitive nature. I love her energy. 
Uh, kids are fun. Um, and I like that she's in kindergarten and she reads with fourth graders. Um, I never had sisters and cousins that were, were girls. So this is my first attempt. And I, I hope I hope that she understands that strength is not this uh, independent woman stuff. It's, hey, I can be me and I can be great. And I'm not comparing myself to other people, both of them. I don't want my kids comparing themselves to other people. I want them comparing them to themselves. And I think the first one gets it. And the second one's starting to get it because it doesn't matter what you got or what other people got compared to you. I, I call up here headquarters. I said headquarters can tell leg quarters, arms quarters, whatever. They they think it's funny when I do that bad dad jokes, but I want them to, to know that this from other people doesn't do anything. You ain't special. Maybe your mom and dad are well off, but you're a kid. Doesn't mean you're special. Um, I want them to know that hard work, discipline, the dailiness, loving the process of setting and hitting goals. And I want them to know that unconditionally that, that their mom and dad love them because of them, not because they're good at sports, not because they achieve something, not because uh, of anything. I just want them to be the best them. And I want them to know that uh, we come from a place of love and, um, you know, it, it's about, it's about, it's about family. So that, that's what I want them to do. I got a long way to go. I got, I got many years cause they're young. So I hope uh, people hold me to it and I hope that people help me with it where I need the help. That That's beautiful. And that's, that's very important. You know, I, I also have a son and that's, mm-hmm very important to teach them how to set goals and really achieve things on their own, whether it's like doing little house chores. Um, So to any parent listening, you know, something I did was very simple. My son, he wanted certain things. He still does. Of course, all kids do. What, what child doesn't want something, right? And it got to the point where I was like, look, either two things are going to happen. Either A, you're going to wait for your birthday or holiday because now you're just like, there has to be kids have to learn the word no because life's going to give them the word no, right? Oh, yeah. But what I started to do was I started making him do chores around the house. You want to earn five dollars? Wash the dishes. You want this? Change the garbage bag, right? So that's so so important what you just said. So to any parent listening, don't be afraid to parent your kids. You know, I see so many parents in these days. It's a whole other podcast the devices, the iPads, everyone's just keeping them busy. And I always say, like, think of back in the day, like, where are the great artists, the writers? They're in their iPads these days. So their mind can't fully form in the iPads. They're being programmed, but that's a whole other topic. Um, Yeah. But with that being said, what would you, knowing everything you know now about your life, about business, anything, any topic, everything you know now over all these years, what would the Michael today tell younger Michael? Um, wake up, work your ass off, enjoy the process and ask for help. That's it. Ask for help. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big mm-hmm. one. We have a friend, Tony. I'm going to share a story about our friend, Tony, where mm-hmm. I had a problem asking for help when Tony met me. Yeah. And Tony explained to me, he goes, 
if if you don't ask for help, you're actually taking away the person's blessing that wants to help. Because when you help someone, you know, God sees that. And if you're not asking for help, you're actually hurting the person that could have blessed you and then God would have blessed them. So asking for help is definitely a big one. Well, Michael, where can they find you on social media? Although Michael's very anti-social media and all that stuff, he does have some platforms. So what are the platforms that they can find you on? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, just my name and all platforms, uh, one of one, uh, zero one of zero one. Um, If you need to connect. And they will be in the show notes, you guys. So make sure if you want to follow Michael, which you should, he's amazing. Go to the show notes. All the links will be there. Michael, thank you so much for coming on The Business Alchemist.